Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nix, content producer for Label Sessions. And in this episode, Keisha Gijano of Label Sessions talks to Monique Haywood. Monique is a marketing leader with over 25 years in the business across Intel and more recently, Microsoft. Accelerating growth in world-class campaigns for industry-leading companies. Over to Keisha and Monique. Monique, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, we know you at Label Sessions as corporate leader, as well as a leader in growth organization. Um, perhaps if you could introduce yourself and what you do to the Label Sessions audience, that would be great. Sure, sure. So thank you very much, Keisha, and uh, the Label Sessions team for inviting me into the community and for uh, chatting with me today on this podcast. I'm excited about it and I'm looking forward to our discussion. So first, uh, a little bit about me. So um, yeah, I'm Monique Hayward, and um, I'm based in Beaverton, Oregon in the United States. That's a suburb of Portland. Uh, I'm sure everybody's out heard of Portland, you know, keep Portland weird and you know how um, much we are uh, in the national spotlight for a lot of different things that make Portland kind of cool. You know, our, our food, our community, our places, our spaces. It's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to live. Um, I am a marketing executive, uh, an entrepreneur, a speaker, an author. Um, I have worked in corporate America for my last, oh gosh, 25, 30 years of my career in uh, high technology companies. And um, I have also owned my own businesses. And so I have had uh, a restaurant business. I've been a partner in a software company. And my current venture is a personal chef business. And, um, and I'm also expanding that platform to move into the short-term rental business. So yeah, I do a lot of things. It's crazy town for me. Oh my gosh, I was wearing a lot of, a lot of hats and kind of making your head go in lots of different places throughout the day. And oh yeah, definitely. And you know, not to mention, I do try to have some semblance of a personal life. I, I am married. Um, my husband and I have been together this year for 30 years. We've been married for 25. Uh, so that's even more crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we uh, we have a cat. Uh, his name is Mac. And and if you're a cat lover, you know what I mean. He's a, an amazing, going on 15 years old cat who is just incredible. We love him. Wow, that's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> um, successful in many different. I know, right? My my first question kind of would be kind of as a marketing leader, you have cultivated the art of, of storytelling. Um, you, how important is storytelling for large organizations? Yeah, Keisha, I'll tell you that um, storytelling has caught fire in organizations over the last, you know, five to 10 years because it's just been so critical for companies and other organizations to be really clear and consistent and compelling with the messages that they're trying to land with their audiences. Um, because there is such a crowded landscape. I mean, people are getting hit with messages constantly uh, from, you know, social media, from advertising, you know, just from, you know, just being out, you know, in, in the world in general, you know, the news is 24 seven, you know, you're just always, you know, in the mix when it comes to getting information. And it's been hard really to break through. And I've found that when you have a great story to tell, it helps you with 
you know, connecting better with your audiences. They have uh, something to uh, to listen to and to engage with. And um, they have a reason to stay connected to you and to, you know, buy your product or your service or to uh, sign up for your cause, uh, to contribute to your campaign, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve from a, a business standpoint. Uh, a good story is a way into your your audience's uh, mind and in their in, in, in the opportunity for them to uh, to, to take some action. Uh, on your behalf. And for you, what makes a good story? Well, I think a, a good story is one that um, is not the storyteller telling you a story, Keisha. It's the storyteller uh, building affinity with you and uh, creating a connection, building a bridge to something that you care about. Um, I like to say, and I, I got this from um, uh, a gentleman named Peter Goober who wrote a book called Tell to Win, which is all about storytelling uh, in business. And um, and he said that the thing to do with a good storyteller is to be more interested than interesting, right? And if you are a really good listener, if you are curious, if you genuinely care about your audience, then... Um, your storytelling is much more effective. If you are caught up in what is it that I'm trying to say, or is it going to have impact or, you know, being too much in your head about, you know, all of these uh, things that could potentially distract from the essence of what it is that you want to communicate and just being authentic and just being yourself, then, um, then you have, you know, kind of defeated yourself before you've even gotten a chance to tell the story. So be be interested in your audience. Be curious about where they are. Uh, understand what it is that they want to hear. I think a lot of times what happens uh, from a corporation or an organization's point of view, we get caught up in, you know, our messaging frameworks <laughs> and, you know, our copy points and the things that we think we want to communicate as opposed to really digging into what does the audience really need to hear? What does the audience really need from us? Um, how is it that we can make uh, the audience uh, have have a better journey uh, you know, with us as an organization? Um, I think, like like I said, a lot of times, especially as marketers, we have a tendency to be a, a, a little wrapped up in our in our own stuff and and not really thinking too much about you know is this really going to connect with someone? Right? It's like, oh, I have something I want to say and I want to say it and it's going to say it this way and I'm going to use. You know, this language, I'm going to use these channels and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to put all of these, um, you know, key performance indicators, KPIs, and, you know, in place to make sure that I measure that. And it's like, wait, 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 back up, back up, back up. <laughs> Let's just have a conversation about how storytelling really is simple and it's two way. I think that's brilliant. And then, so you've talked about kind of, let's say you've given the good story. I kind of want to touch on what happens next or how do you ensure that? people are taking the right action based on the stories that our company is telling? Well, let me tell you a little bit about how I uh, frame up storytelling for uh, for people. And then I think out of that will will come, you know, the actions that, you know, you are trying to get the audiences to take. And I think a lot of times what happens is that people, when they think about storytelling, uh, they really get caught up in what it is that they're trying to say, <laughs> right? Like I said earlier, 
And I think that um, one of the things that you want to do at the front end of it, when you're planning the stories that you want to tell, you want to think about three things. You know, what is your story? Who is it that really cares? You know, who needs to hear it? And again, what is the action that you want uh, that person to take out of telling that story? Then also the other thing, too, I'll add to that is that why is it that you are the person or the organization or the company that is telling the story in the first place? Like you are the differentiated storyteller here, right? Like, you know, people have a myriad of choices when it comes to their products and their services and their engagements with organizations. And you need to create um, a, a bit of mystique, if you will, around the reasons why they should engage with you and not your competitor. And so one of the things that I've been doing, and especially as I coach people uh, from a marketing perspective and uh, as they're promoting themselves in their careers uh, and, in, and you know, in their lives, right, is to think about, um, think about their, their journey and think about their experience and the, the different types of stories that they want to tell based on that experience and, and what they bring to the party. And so we are creatures of storytelling, right? We've been doing it for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years going back to, you know, the, the beginning of time. And I mean, storytelling is the way that we do connect with each other. And everybody wants to hear a story that is familiar to them. Like I said, I want to be able to get into your head. Right? I want to be able to build a bridge to connect to something that you identify with that is familiar to you. And, um, and one of the things that I impress upon people is that you don't have to make it up. There are stories that we like to tell each other over and over and over again. This is why, you know, Hollywood movies are uh, successful with sequels, for example. You know, we have been telling the Star Wars story ever since I was a little, little kid. And so I don't have to tell you that, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not a little kid anymore, of course. And, you know, so for 50 years, you know, we have been getting Star Wars stories. Um, when you think about music, for example, right? Um, yeah, I, I have this conversation with younger people all the time, right? Like, hey, I remember when that song was new. So, so we like to hear, you know, the same stories over and over again. And so from a, from a business standpoint, what I've done is that I've created some frames for people in which that they can uh, create their own stories that will resonate with people. So for example, um, a love story, you know, we tell love stories all the time. Um, love stories in business um, are things like, uh, you know, imagine that you have you know, like you're one of the millions of people around the world who have an iPhone. And every time Apple introduces a new model of iPhone, people will line up at the stores, right, to get that latest model. That is a love story, right? If you have created that much affinity and that much stickiness with your product that people will stand in line for it, you know, overnight. Yeah, that that's that's love for sure. Um, another example is um, uh, the hero saves the day. All of us, you know, no matter where we are in our career or where we are in our journey as a, as a company, have a hero saves the day story. You know, for me, from a marketing perspective, it tends to be um, I'm halfway through the quarter <laughs> and uh, my budget is suddenly smaller than it was at the beginning of the quarter because of, you know, circumstances that happened, you know, with the business and we needed to uh, get more efficient and we needed to make sure that we made our numbers at the end of the quarter. So we need to 
pull together as a marketing team, figure out how we're going to deliver all of the programs that we said that we were going to deliver at the beginning of the quarter, at the end of the quarter with fewer resources. Put on the cape, you know, figure out how we're going to do it and save the day, right? And so, but the thing about the Hero Saves the Day story and a lot of these stories, right, it's not, again, about you as the storyteller. It's about who did you help? Who did you enable? How did you help other people in their success? So with the Hero Saves the Day, right, there are two aspects to that. Number one is, you know, the hero doesn't take all the credit, right? The hero uh, shares credit, right? And then when you think about um, your superpowers, right, if you're out here saving the day all the time, that means that you just don't have discipline, <laughs> right? Or that the organization is too chaotic or that things are too crazy. So your superpowers really should only come out every now and then when it's necessary uh, to really uh, go above and beyond the call of duty. So those are just a couple of examples of the kinds of stories that you can tell that you know will lead you to the right action that you want people to take. And so when you think about you know the love story, right? What's the action you want to take there? Like you want people to continue to support you and the values and the um, and and the ethos, if you will, that you're creating around you know your organization or the products or the services that you deliver. With um, with the hero saves the day, right? You want people to recognize and appreciate, you know, that you have that talent and that you have, you know, delivered uh, for the organization in a crisis, and that um, you know you have created more resiliency in the organization. You've created, um, you know, uh, more uh, opportunity for people to 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 feel like they can be. Um, uh, good contributors and and good stewards of the organization. And I think that's so important that you were talking about. It's almost, it's natural within us to, to connect to that emotional part of that side. Kind of, you talk about love, you talk about heroism. I mean, we know the feelings that those stories are trying to tap into and it's kind of retelling those stories and linking it to the business. Right, exactly. Like I said, it's not unfamiliar territory, right? Like I said, everybody has these as examples. You know, another one is, you know, overcoming the odds, right? I mean, it, it, you have, you know, roadblocks, you know, in, in an organization that you have to get over. You know, there's a, a particular stakeholder who could be difficult to deal with and you have to figure out how to, you know, get over that, um, that that obstacle um you've got um competition right that uh is uh suddenly investing more in your business area of focus wow how do you figure out the best way to you know, maneuver around you know that competition so there yeah there are all kinds of stories that you can tell about um interesting scenarios within a business context that don't have to be you know inhuman Man, we're not we're not robots. We're humans inside of organizations, and you know, no matter how much you know in, in artificial intelligence you have, you still need real human intelligence, you know, to to really move conversations and to move people forward and and do the things that you need to do in order to be successful. I guess for the next part, I wanted to touch on your B two B insights from working with some huge players in the tech industry. In your time at Microsoft and Intel, what are there any lessons? When you learn from these tech giants, do you think others who are in scaling companies, you know, striving to get to their size, would benefit from hearing? No, that that's very uh, insightful question because I actually was just having this conversation yesterday with um, a woman who's a CMO at um, a smaller company, and um, and she and I worked together at Intel, 
Um, but we didn't know each other at Intel. We had just recently gotten introduced to each other. And so part of the conversation that we were having was about this very thing, about how, you know, we're at these bigger companies, you know, Intel, Microsoft, and she's in this smaller company now. And boy, does the marketing, <laughs> right, you know, scale come way down, you know, even though the challenges are still very similar. Um, so I think that there are a couple of things that, you know, I can share as key learnings from a B2B marketing standpoint when you're thinking about how to um, emulate the success of, you know, the companies like Intel, Microsoft, and others that are leaders in the industry. First of all, um, I would say um, pick your lane, <laughs> right? When you look at uh, companies that are big in scale, um, they tend to be really good at what they do. So you think about um, Intel being you know, a chip manufacturer with 50 plus years of experience, right? Um, Intel is, is, is not known for doing pretty much anything else besides you know, that core competency. And in fact, when I was at Intel, I was there for 22 years. And the way that I describe my career is that I moved around to move up in the organization. And every organization within the company was focused on you know, the, the core mission of, you know, delivering uh, microprocessors to the industry at scale, right? It was our business to fill factories, <laughs> right? And to ship, you know, billions of, of uh, micro, uh, microchips out to the, to, the, to the market. And so I think that, you know, that's the first thing you want to do as a, a small organization that's looking to scale, get good at what you do in your lane, <laughs> right? And I think the second thing, in fact, that my uh, CMO friend and I were talking about yesterday was early investments in marketing. I think a lot of, and I don't say this just because I am a marketing person, right? I've seen it happen time and time again, where um, smaller organizations wait too late to bring on a marketing competence and, um, and to bring on uh, the, the marketing team in order to build the business. So by the time you get to having a product that's viable, that you have uh, research, that you have tested out, that you have customers and that you have sales and you know, all of that, you know, it's, it's a little too late at that point for marketing, again, to come in and save the day, right? <laughs> to, you know, to, you know, to try, because a lot of times what happens when marketing comes on too late, there's an expectation that marketing is going to yeah, put on the cape, be the superhero, and really start to supercharge awareness, building brand, you know, creating engagement, driving leadership. Like, oh, it's like, wait a second, you know, we kind of really needed to be, you know, involved a little bit earlier at the front end of that conversation so that we can understand the business, understand the customers, understand the landscape, you know, do our own research because, you know, marketing is, you know, a profession that actually has, you know, a, a lot of, um, you know, key aspects and key components of it that uh, you need to be disciplined around. It's not like you just come in and slap together some campaign and then you're out, you know, you're out in the, in, in the market and you're up and running. Like, no, there's, you know, there are things that you have to do in order to build a good, solid marketing organization and, and, and skill set and capabilities and core competence that will be advantageous to you in, in, in your business. So that's my second recommendation. Smaller companies out there, if you're listening, please hire your marketing team sooner rather than later, right? And the way that you know if you need your marketing team is if you're asking questions like, oh, how am I going to make this? How am I going to uh, bring this product to market? Oh, who is my target customer? 
How am I going to develop those relationships with my audiences? How am I going to tell my story? So again, you're doing that. You need to ask those questions sooner rather than later. Don't wait until you have you know, a, a, a lot of product and inventory and nobody to buy it to say, oh, by the way, I have a marketing team now. No, do it sooner rather than later. And then I think um, the last thing that I'll, uh, that I'll uh, share about, you know, scale and, and, and B2B marketing is that, um, like we talked about before, Keisha, uh, your audience, yeah, they're human beings. Uh, I think a lot of times in B2B, we have a tendency to think that uh, business decision makers are, um, you know, sort of this really sophisticated, uh, technical, you know, expert, you know, audience who, you know, just wants, you know, the information and they just want it straight and they don't want any, you know, fun factor in it or they don't want, you know, any glitzy marketing or that kind of thing. Well, that's been changing, you know, over over the last, you know, five to 10 years where, you know, all of us are consumers on one level or another. And uh, and people who are business decision makers also want to be uh, marketed to in a way that connects with them and that resonates with them. And so it is about the customer journey and understanding, you know, where you engage with your customer uh, at, you know, the right time with the right information for the right decision. And a lot of times what happens in B2B, especially in high technology, because we're so engineering focused and so engineering driven, so technical, you know, and we're, we're out front, you know, for years and years and years when it comes to innovation. And that's fantastic. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have, you know, all of the, the goodness and all of the benefit that we have in technology for, you know, the world to enjoy. But I think that a lot of times, again, we get so fixated on the technology and the innovation that we lose sight of, you know, where the customer is on the journey and what information they need at a specific point in time. And so we have a tendency to want to, you know, land a 25 page white paper <laughs> on, you know, on some, you know, poor, you know, decision maker who hasn't even, you know, figured out if he or she wants a relationship with, with the company yet. You're like, oh yeah, no, here, read these 25 pages and you'll know everything that you need to know about, you know, how to, how to engage with us, how to buy this product and, and what it's going to do for you. Well, no, just think of yourself, right. As you know, a, a normal human being in the way that you like to, you know, consume information, right. On the front end of the journey, you're doing, you know, research, you're, you're becoming aware of things, right. You're, you're thinking about what your options are and that the kind of information that you need there is you know short, snappy, right? Maybe a, a two or three minute overview of the company or its product. You know, introduce yourself to me, right? Don't just like, you know, don't overwhelm me with a lot of detail about information. Okay, great. Now I move to the next stage of that journey. What does that look like? Oh, okay, great. You know, I'm starting to consider my options. I'm starting to figure out, like, you know, okay, what are my choices? What are my alternatives? Oh, give me a different piece of information here that's going to help me. Maybe give me an overview of of your products. Maybe give me a demo. Maybe, you know, maybe show me, you know, how, how other people have been using it. And then later in the journey, I'm ready to, you know, dive into your 20 pages. <laughs> right. But please, you know, the way that I like to describe it is sometimes that we are too consumed with having people, you know, watch the entire movie before we give them a trailer. <laughs> right. How, give, trailers work for a reason. 
frustrating because they give you, you know, the two minutes that you need to understand whether or not I want to go see that movie, right? Nobody goes to a movie and sits there for two hours without having done at least a little bit of research about what that, what that movie was going to be about. Or, number two, they talk to somebody. How about that? They ask their friends, hey, did you actually go see Oppenheimer? Oh my God, yes, it was a fantastic movie. And uh, it's worth all three hours of you sitting there and not being able to move. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the, you know, duplicate that thought process as you are putting together your B2B marketing strategy. Because people like to have information in short, consumable, snackable bursts. They like to talk to their friends. They like to get references. They like to know that other people are doing what you're doing and, um, and think that it's okay and that, um, and that it will make them successful. And then they'll be ready to engage in a deeper, uh, yeah, more, um, more uh, persistent conversation with you. So that's that. And the, uh, the other thing I'll, I'll tack on to that, at, at the end of the journey, again, a lot of times what, what we do as B2B marketers is that we're always consumed with getting on to the next, <laughs> right? You know, oh, that campaign is done. You know, that, uh, you know, that event is over. Uh, you know, that, you know, we, we have sold, you know, th this many of our products. And a lot of times what happens is that at the end of the journey where we really should be nurturing those relationships with our audiences, nurturing those relationships with our, cu our customers, we have abandoned them and we are on to the next. And one of the things that I try to do with my teams as I'm you know, working on marketing uh, campaigns and marketing initiatives, marketing programs, is to make sure that we do not lose sight of customers who are at that tail end of the journey make sure that we are staying relevant, make sure that we are staying engaged, make sure that we are communicating, and also make sure that we are listening, make sure that we are getting feedback, make sure that they are telling us, you know, what it is that they need, because if we get too far down the road on the next thing, you know, they're like, wait, wait a second, we're not ready. You're not ready. You're already in the car, driving along, and I'm running behind you, trying to catch up. That's not what we want our customers to be. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. No, I think you've given such incredible advice and lots of it um, throughout this whole kind of episodes so far linked to that i know that you do a lot of like mentoring and coaching as well um so to pivot to that ever so slightly I kind of my next question will be kind of what advice would you give to people being mentored to get the most out of mentoring sessions yes mentor mentee relationship is really important and i think it's it starts with understanding the roles and the responsibilities of you as a mentor and and who you're mentoring as the mentee. And I think from, from the mentee's perspective, let's start there. You are being mentored like you asked about. So you have the responsibility of several things. The first being being absolutely clear about what it is that you want your mentor to do with you. And I say with, not for, right? Because it's a collaborative relationship. Um, I think a lot of times what happens is that people who are seeking mentorship um, 
are not exactly clear about the problems that they're trying to solve in their career, about uh, where it is that they're really trying to go in their career, and um, and how uh, the mentor can help uh, you know you get on to what it is you're trying to get to. And so you want to be clear about what it is that we're going to be working on. And we can't be working on 10 different things, right? It's like two or three. Because um, me as a mentor, I can only help you on the things that I am knowledgeable of, have experience with, have perspective and insight on. Now, I have a, a pers perspective and insight on a lot of different things, sure. But there are other people who can help with you know, certain topics that I might not necessarily have all of the background and all the expertise on. So as you're, as you're thinking about mentorship from a mentee perspective, think about what it is that you are trying to do, what is the career objective for you right now, and what is it that you're going to be working on with the mentor. So that's definitely the responsibility for, for the mentee. So the second thing that the mentee needs to do is to take ownership of the relationship in terms of um, scheduling, right? Asking for the meeting, you know, showing up and being prepared, having the agenda, right? All of that good stuff because um, your mentor is not going to chase you for all that, <laughs> right? So you have to be engaged, you have to be proactive, and you have to be committed to the engagement. And now I think the last thing I'll say from a mentee perspective is that um, you need to take the action and you need to be accountable for taking the actions, I, I'll tell you from a mentor's perspective, nothing irritates me more than for me to have spent 30 minutes, an hour or so with someone. We have gone through you know, what it is that you know, we need to be working on. How is it that you know, the, the advice and counsel is going to be executed against and, you know, a week or two or three or a month, whatever. Whenever we decide that we're going to meet again and review progress, nothing has happened. Right. As nope, you need to take the action. You need to be accountable for that action. And if you haven't done anything, don't call me yet because that means you're not ready. Right. So from the mentor's perspective, uh, we have the, the obligation to uh, to show up. Right. And to be prepared and ready to engage, you know, with our mentees and provide them with good counsel and good advice. Don't get too far out on a branch that, um, again, if you don't have all of that expertise, don't don't wing it because this is people's careers that you're talking about, right? So, hey, if, if you don't know, say, hey, you know what? I'm going to point you in the direction of somebody else who I think who can help you here and not just me because, I, again, I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And, um, and I think also it's incumbent upon mentees to have different types of mentors in their mentoring circle so that you can get different uh, perspective and that you can have uh, you know, people who are, are mentoring and coaching you on, on different aspects of your career. Then the, the other thing that the mentor needs to do is to um, ensure that uh, we are, you know, as mentors creating a space, right? Because a lot of times we get busy and we get, you know, wrapped up in all of our stuff. Um, when, whenever uh, I am uh, thinking about my calendar, um, I always leave about, you know, 15, 20% of the week available just for conversations with people who who need mentorship, who need guidance, who need coaching. Um, because if my calendar is, you know, completely stacked back to back, like a lot of executives, you know, you wind up with, you know, requests that come in and people are waiting, you know, weeks, if not months to talk to you. 
there, when I was at Intel, I, I was uh, having, I had a mentor mentee relationship with uh, an executive there who, I mean, literally Keisha, it would take me like three, four, five months to get on his calendar. And I'm like, well, by the time three, four, five months pass, my issue's done, <laughs> right? I've figured it out, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, really, it's, you know, mentorship is immediate. It's like, we are, we're in this engagement, we're in this conversation for a reason, because you're trying to work on something like right now. I don't, yeah, I can probably wait a week or two, but I can't wait months and months and months, okay? So you as a mentor, clear your calendar. And you don't, you don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to move mountains, but just leave, leave some space. Don't, don't fall into the trap of being stacked back to back all the time. Create some space in your calendar, especially if you're in an organization. And you know, I, you know, when you're thinking about you know the the next generation of leaders who are coming up behind you, and they see you as a role model in the organization, and if they can't get to you, then you're really risking um, their morale. You're really risking their engagement. There, you're really risking their satisfaction with the organization and they'll start you know looking outside and looking at other opportunities at other companies that they don't think that people in the organization at the senior levels care about them and their success and their careers my last question my last one question but you mentioned that us here they mentioned in role uh at inter you are you were the most senior african-american working in marketing if you were to mentor someone kind of is in that position that you were in back then, what would you say to them? There are a couple of things that I would say to that person from a mentoring and coaching standpoint. I think the first thing is, is that take a deep breath. It's okay. Um, you are not really alone, even if it's lonely. The second thing I'll say is make sure that you have a support network in place who understands the journey that you are on and uh, can help you in times where you think it's too much, it's too hard, it's too difficult, and, um, and that you, you, can't, uh, you can't function. Like you're, 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 you think you're gonna lose your mind. <laughs> you think that uh, the pressure is too much or the spotlight is too hot, right? Make sure that you build um, a, a personal board of directors, so to speak, who you can count on to to give you that counsel and to give you that reassurance and to give you um, that insight about uh, how the organization uh, is is working for you and how you are working in the organization, so that you can stay uh, sane and that you can continue to perform. The, the other thing that I'll say is um, you want to always be doing your best work because, and you want to also be telling your story because people do look up to you and they see that you are the only one <laughs> and, and you want to be accessible and you want to share that experience because the ultimate goal is to have other people join you at the table and not just be the only one. Right. And so you want to be open, you want to be accessible, you want to share that story with people so that they know that it's possible and that there is room for more. Just because I was the only one didn't mean that there was, wasn't room for more. We needed more. And eventually, we did get a couple of more, <laughs> right? So, 
And so that, you know, there's, there's always hope, be optimistic, continue to work, do your best work, have people who help you, support you, care about you and your journey. And, um, and know that the, the, the rest, the, the rest of the uh, people are coming. It's just going to take some time. I absolutely love that message. And it's something that I think a lot of people need to be reminded of. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Thank you. Our next session, it kind of a little bit of a, a fun part to learn more about you. We've had a lot about your advice, I guess. These kind of quick fire questions are there to come. Okay, these are, this is the, the, get, the get to know Monique section. <laughs> Question number one. How would you describe your taste in interior design? Contemporary and modern. I'm not a traditional kind of girl. I, I like clean lines. I like, um, you know, open spaces. Um, I like uh, I like stuff that's new. I don't like stuff that's old. In fact, um, I have, I was saying earlier, right, I, I have a, a, a venture in Phoenix and, um, and I'm, I just bought a house recently uh, that I'm going to be promoting as a short-term rental. And, um, and we've completely remodeled this thing. And um, yeah, the, the, the house itself uh, is about 35, 36 years old. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, how do I modernize this thing? <laughs> right? How do I you know, open up the spaces, you know, uh, you know, make it make it lighter, make it brighter. I, oh yeah, no, it's it's definitely transformed into this you know modern contemporary oasis. Question two: What is your signature dish to impress friends? Oh, it's um, beef short ribs with uh, polenta and um, and a side of uh, green beans that I like to do that have um, lemon zest, a uh, garlic and uh, parmesan cheese that whenever i make that people in fact i have a quick story about that so i i actually uh had a dinner party recently and cooked this meal and um and a couple of our guests were at another event that was a fundraiser or you know some some kind of um uh gala event that they had gone to and it was and, and and it was um being promoted as you know kind of this chef driven um you know, uh, the opportunity for people to, you know, have this great meal. And so they told us that when they showed up, the meal was almost exactly the same as the meal that I had prepared at my house for them. So beef short ribs with polenta, right? Like, and they said that mine was better than the chef's. I was like, what? Ultimate compliment for the cook. Anybody out there who is a cooking enthusiast knows what I'm talking about. If somebody tells you that your meal is better than one that you got either at a restaurant or, you know, at, you know, some big event where they were promoting the chef as like, you know, the, the, you know, the bee's knees. Penultimate question for me. So in another life, what was your career? Oh, in my, in my, <laughs> in another life. Okay. In, in another life, I would have been a DJ. <laughs> I love music. And, uh, and, and, and particularly um, electronic music. And in fact, I'm having a song produced right now because I've had a song in my head and I have no musical talent. I mean, I, I get down at karaoke. I even have you know, my own um, karaoke machine here in my house. It, you know, it's actually a component karaoke machine with five channels surround sound. I got all the discs and all oh, yes, I throw a fantastic karaoke party. And I, I can sing okay. I'm not great. But I would be a DJ for sure. Totally be a DJ. Oh, I love that answer. And it's, I think my first thing for how many 
um, people that come on this podcast or when I've talked to them, so these executives, very similar to you, they're like, my passion is music, DJing. I'm going, wow, there must be something linked to kind of high achieving people and the love of music. So my last question to you is one that we ask everyone here on the podcast. Um, Monique, on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Oh, how weird am I? Two? I'm not weird at all. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I am, I, yeah, I don't have very many idiosyncrasies, I think. At least no one's telling me. <laughs> so I, I would put my weirdness at, yeah, probably a two, three. Yeah. I, I tend to be pretty mainstream and, you know, and I kind of go with the flow. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great question weirdness okay <laughs> this is where i have to wrap up for now hopefully there's another time but um thank you so much right well yes it's good it's goodbye for now not forever exactly so thank you again so concludes another episode of label sessions presents be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice and of course start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com